All right. Before we get into everything, I want to go quickly into our sponsor. And today our sponsor is Patch Junkie. Uh, Are you a member of the military or are you a fan of uniquely made items? Hell, do you like to just collect stuff? Let's talk about a little company in Delaware called Patch Junkie. Patch Junkie is an Etsy shop that sells uniquely designed patches. Their stock includes everything from military-style morale patches to designs that reference popular culture. They also sell other patch-related stuff like patch mats and patch bags to stick your patches to. So if you go onto their website, enter the promo code SALUMIST for 10% off your order. Once again, that is S-A-L-U-M-I-S-T and get instantly 10% off. So go check them out and that is www.patchjunkie.com. Man, that just feels so good to really feel like you're supported and and actually just have someone believe in you like that. So thank you again so much, Jay, for your contributions to this podcast. We're going to use every bit of what you've been helping us with and do more good. Uh, I hope we have been doing good. So thank you again so much for everything. So this episode is going to be another one of our FYFT episodes. So if you've never heard of those, that stands for find your fucking thing. And I think that is different from finding your thing, because when you find your fucking thing, it's going to be hard. It's going to elicit emotions. It's going to take you into all kinds of different directions that just your regular thing won't. And it's because when you find a thing, it's convenient, but your fucking thing is far from it. So in this episode, uh, we're joined by or I'm joined by my friend Liz, and she is the owner of championliz.com. And she's writing a blog. She is. Uh, she has a website, she'll be starting a podcast and this is just sort of her talking her way through. And we realize a lot of stuff in this episode and it's full of emotion and we just have a good time and it's full of learning. And if you guys have any sort of stories that you want to be able to tell, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, these FYFT episodes are really about you guys. And it's really about telling your story and sharing that because I believe that there's tons of other people in the world that have stories just like yours. And if we sort of all come together and be able to tell our stories, maybe it's going to help us all get to where we want to go. So I hope you guys find value in this episode and I hope you enjoy it and reach out if you have any feedback. All right. Thanks. P.S. One more thing. We were actually uh, not in my normal recording spot, but that's sort of the cool thing about all these episodes is that you don't have to be in a, and I'm doing air quotes studio to be able to make content like this. You can be anywhere. So, uh, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Bob Kirby library in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, we had a spot reserved in there and, uh, they were really awesome about letting us use that to be able to record this. So, uh, if you ever want to be able to record content on your own or just have a place to think or just to read books, it's obviously a library, but I encourage people to read because a lot of us just need to read. It's just a good thing to do. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I think we're going unless anything absolutely cool. craps a bed. Okay. So. So. Why are you here? <laughs> I'm here because you asked me to be here. No. Um. So, uh, actually, I just listened to yesterday's episode yeah. or like the last episode that you did. I yeah. listened to it yesterday. Okay. And um, there was this part mm-hmm. where you were talking about like the people from high school that need to stub their toe. Yeah. And um, you're not on that list, Liz. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should be on. I should okay. have been on that list. I should be on everybody's list because I was a pretty craptastic person. Word. And that's the clinical diagnosis. <laughs> craptastic person. But um, but yeah, um, 
It's uh, so I'm a writer and yeah. I write a lot about my experience recovering from codependency and what it's like to live with a spouse in recovery and sort of rebuilding self-esteem after like a really a lifetime of yeah. codependency. Um, codependency is uh, I'm not going to be able to give You're you so like nervous. I am so <laughs> nervous because I'm like working this out. Like I tried to prepare and then I was like, crap, I've it never had to, to like talk about this, yeah. like in a way that's being recorded. But, um, I don't know. I guess if I had to de- like describe what it means to be codependent, it's like somebody else has your power. Mm-hmm. Um, and that your identity comes through like service to others. Um, and some of their characteristics that I don't really identify with is like, Codependent people can be manipulative, um, controlling, like I don't resonate with those things, but um, I am a big approval seeker and a people pleaser. And, um, you know, it's a lot of it comes from family culture and family values. And it's hard to talk and write about because, you know, like our stories are our own. Yeah. But... There's all these characters mm-hmm. and there are all these other people and our understanding and our perceptions of reality are our own truth, but they're not representative of what these other people, who they truly are. Yeah. And so it's really hard to step forward and to come out because like, you just never know, you never know like what you're going to say that's going to like hurt somebody, but you're just like, I just want to tell my truth. I want to share my truth because I want to try to help people. Yeah. And so it's been kind of, it's just lately it's just kind of felt like a minefield of like yeah. oh great when's the phone gonna ring and when's the shoe gonna drop and that people pleaser like i just want everybody to love yeah. me and tell me i'm worthy it really it started a lot of anxiety so one of the things that i've learned through through doing this is that truths don't they don't hurt lies do yeah um and holding stuff in is kind of what has led to where I believe that a lot of just society and culture has gone. And so that's why, that's why we, we have our podcast. That's why I called it the Salumist because a, I love the shit out of meat and B it's that process of putting the meat through the grinder, putting yourself through the grinder because it's a nasty process. I don't know if you've ever seen, a, a pig gets slaughtered or if you've ever seen like a goat get slaughtered or anything um in fact i have butchered a wild hog okay, myself so, so exactly in a past life i used to work in like gourmet and specialty foods and okay chef, you get it. i was a baker and chef brings in this pig that they've shot from like our farm to table restaurant and yeah. he looks at me and he's like you're staying late and you're butchering this pig with me yeah and it was nasty and disgusting yeah. and i but that meat was good as shit though totally wasn't it? ate that ragu was, later tell you it was good <laughs> but that's the thing you know every you know i've, I've, I've said a billion times everyone loves sausage bacon but nobody wants to know how it's made and the thing is is that i've never been one to shy away from the darkness Mm -hmm. it's just built into my personality um and in fact um I mean, and it comes from just like a, a lifetime of trauma, yeah. which is fine like you know i don't say trauma to be like oh like feel sorry for me like it's just like that's just the truth. Um, in fact, like I had a therapist tell me once, you, do you ever, did you ever see that movie? It's a kid's movie. Um, Inside Out. Yeah. The feelings and the balls, yeah. right? And she goes, and she was talking to me. She's trying to explain to me like why, why I'm 
tend to the darkness. And she was like, because of the things that happened to you when you were a kid, all your memories are blue. Yeah. She was like, it's like sadness touches everything. And it's nothing that you did. It's just how your your brain coped yeah. with what you went through. And so um, I feel like, a lot, you know, I actually just had this conversation with um, my sister. It was interesting. She had called me. She never calls me. Yeah. She called me and she was like, do you want to go shopping? And I'm like, something's wrong. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like you want to spend time with me? Yeah. Just because? Yeah. Well, okay. So I go on the shopping trip with my sister. This never happens. Yeah. And, um, y- you know, I'm me. So I can't just like talk about like the weather and like what the kids are doing. So I'm like, you know, we're driving down to Nashville and I'm like, I'm like, so yeah. what's your take on our childhood? <laughs> so what's your perspective? And, uh, you know, it was really cool because I had never really heard her side. She is like the total like firstborn. She is a go-getter. She's ambitious. She is like super strong. And um, she and I fought like dogs Did when we you? were kids. Are you the second I'm one? I'm the second of How many seven. Kids? Bro, seven? Seven. I didn't There's know that there were that many. Yeah. Like when, when we were in... When we were in middle school, how many were there back the then? The littlest would have been born when we were in eighth grade. Yeah. Your dad's pullout game is atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can happened? He, can he pull out of his driveway? <laughs> Jesus Christ. My, um, my understanding of it is this, is that, okay, so there's six girls and one boy. The boy is number six. Yeah. So, you know, the whole, so... Let's talk about the patriarchy. Um, So, uh, you know, I'm born into this family of all these, and I'm the second girl. And my mother is told, if you have a girl, you get a bicycle. If you have a boy, you get a Mercedes. And so the running joke was, you know, this bike and Mercedes thing. Well, when the fifth girl came, Mm -hmm. her middle name is Mercedes because they didn't make a Mercedes big enough for our family anymore. Uh And then a few years later, my brother comes and then they decide he can't be the only boy and the youngest of six. So then they have another one thinking, well, maybe we'll get another boy. They got a girl, but at least he's not the baby. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you want to feel old that the baby is 19. Holy crap. I know. So old, Dude. and um, my brother's twenty one. Human body's resilient, man. Yeah, I mean that's it's there's a certain crazy. point where you're like, damn, that's like a marvel. Kudos to your mom. I, mean, I know. Yeah, yeah. Kudos to your mom. That's cool stuff. Yeah. So, lot big family. A big family. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Talk to me about again why you're here. Oh, sorry. Um. No, it's fine. I just <laughs> like. I want to know your why you've, t- you've so, talked about your history, but yeah. there's gotta be something deeper. I know that there's something deeper. So my big why, and the reason why I talk about my story, the reason why I keep shouting it out is that, um, what happened to me is happening to women and girls everywhere, every day. Yeah. Um, and it's starting young and they, um, And when they finally realize what's happening, so much of their life is gone and so many of their choices are gone. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's really just trying. It's I'm trying to speak into a space. I can't find anybody else doing this. I cannot find another writer on the planet Mm -hmm. 
talking about the things that I'm trying to talk about. Do you need another um, writer? No, but it was just like, a, like, hey, is there somebody I can network with? Like somebody yeah. that I can like look to? Like, how do you talk about these things? Like you can find people who are spouses of alcoholics or addicts um, writing, but typically they're either anonymous or they're divorced. Mm -hmm. And our story is about forgiveness and reconciliation. And, um, and I'm not saying that like, you can't be divorced and like feel those things and like have like, but, but it's sort of, how do you heal together? And then looking forward, you know, like I have a five-year-old daughter and I look at her and I'm like, how do I break this cycle? I have to fix me mm-hmm. because I grew up in a codependent system. I grew up, this was modeled for me. I have to fix myself. This is urgent Yeah. because she deserves more life than I had. Yep. And even though like, I mean, if you look at my life, you're just going to go privilege, privilege, privilege. I have an absolutely excellent education. I had means like it but what I didn't have was any self-confidence. Really? I didn't have any real self-esteem. All I had was arrogance and bravado. Yeah. And that was kind of like, I don't remember if we were recording when we were talking about this, but like junior high, middle school, like when I said, like, I needed to, st- like, I'm the kid that deserves to stub their toe. Like I was arrogant and un. Really? Oh, yeah. I never thought that growing up. All I remember was that that badass circle room that you guys have in your, it was like this. Uh, the open space yeah, in the I house. Like, I was like, bro, yeah. white people are on another level, man. What is this? <laughs> so I grew up in like a total mid-century modern house, like yeah. with a completely open floor plan. And it was built by, and I kid you not, it was built by Dr. Funk. Um, that so awesome. Dr. Funk had five kids. Yeah. And um, so I lived in the old Dr. Funk house and uh, Dr. Funk had five kids. And the story goes that his wife didn't want to take like a laundry hamper. Like she didn't want to carry it. So there's like a ramp in the house. And then like, it's all like this open floor plan. And like, originally there were cork floors through the house. And like the rule was like a pair with their, with their kids was like, you can ride your bikes in the house because mom could just literally spray it off with a garden hose. Now, when we got the house, there was um, tile. So we were allowed to ride bikes and scooters and anything like that, as long as it hadn't been outside yet. (laughs) So we, I mean, I had like, there were some really, really cool things that I got to do. That's awesome. Um, It was awesome. We had, um, do you remember like those big like parachutes, like from like field day? Yes. Okay. So we had one of those. (laughs) That only, only a family with 12,000 kids. Because we, well, because if you had like, if you had like a couple friends over to play, like you had enough people to yeah. make it work, but it was awesome on that ramp as a slip and slide. <laughs> oh my God, that's so cool. So yeah, so we had like a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I'm sorry, we've kind of like gone back and forth, but like my sister, like that trip to Nashville with her, it was interesting to hear her, her interpretation of like all of this, you know, because for her, like it was great. Yeah. Like her interpretation is like, everything was great. And I'm like, and in my head, I'm thinking, because you weren't the one who was told you needed to parent and mother your children, your siblings. Like I, I joke and I say like that she hid in her room for like 10 years and she'll, I mean, I don't think she'd care that I said that, yeah. like, but she just didn't have like, she didn't feel, she didn't internalize like this burden of responsibility that I took on. Like for me, I was like, I'm not going to just be like the second mother, I'm going to be the best mother in this house. Yeah. I'm going to take care of these kids. I'm going to love them hard. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, and, and 
And now I feel just like a tremendous amount of guilt. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I look at my siblings and I'm like, I was a kid pretending, like trying to raise kids. Did I do more, more harm than good? Like, did, did I, you know, did I, did I, I mean, I was coming with the wisdom of a nine year old, you know, and yeah. by the end of, you know, of course I'm like 18 when I left, but you know, I just, and again, it was just so much like just trying to pretend that like I knew what was going like that. I was, I just felt like such an authority. Yeah. You, you, know? Know, you sound like pretty much every other kid though. Yeah, exactly. They, but they, they think they know. And in the I age guess that's of true. Google, you can't tell kids shit these I days. I know. And man, I'm telling you, my seven-year-old keeps pulling it on me. He's like, well, in fact, mom. And yeah. I'm like, I invented that Yeah, game. exactly. Like, and it's exactly. just like, dude, you need to like back off. But it's, it's, it's interesting these days. Um, you know, I'm, and I'm a step parent, just seeing that how much information that, that is at their fingertips. Um, and it's like, you have this weird balance of trying to, Make sure that they make as much use of that while also understanding the importance of having a, if you, and I'm doing air quotes, like a disconnected relationship where it's not needing the internet or it's not needing all these other things. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's truthfully the, the toughest balance that, because there's so much good that the internet can do for people. There really are. I mean, the amount of things, if, if I had, the type of internet connections and all the, just the access to information, I'd be in a completely different spot. I just would. And, uh, but you can't sit there and worry about all that kind of stuff. But what I was going to ask is how, how is that sort of leading up to your thing? Obviously this episode mm -hmm. is a FYFT yeah. find your fucking thing. How has and it's, it just rolls off the tongue yeah. anymore when I say it. Everyone's <laughs> like, find your thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, how has that helped you find your thing? Do you think that you found it yet? I think I'm still on the journey for the specifics of like, what does it look like? Um, so recently I've launched a website and I've gotten more active in my social media and in my writing. Um, I write uh, my, if you want to look it up, it's championliz.com. Of course. Yes. Um, and, um, which, and I think the irony of it all and the pre reason why I love like that it's champion Liz is because if you talk to me, like I'm like, I'm the failure of everything. Yeah. Um, but, um, and, and, and that's really like my story is like, how do you rebuild your life? I'm 33 and I never got started. I never launched. Mm. I never became anything. Why do you All I that? did was try. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so my entire life was pleasing other people. Yeah. I mean, and it's like you just like and it's so like I said, it's hard to talk about because it's like, oh, my family crap. And like, I love them, but like, I, I really don't want to like reveal anything that would make them uncomfortable. But like, the thing is, is like, I grew up in a family culture and with family values where it was like success, money, um, power, dominance, intellectual superiority. These are your core values. Mm -hmm. Honesty, truth, like love compassion understanding meh, yeah secondary sure it was very much um a place where the strong survive mm. and i failed 
And I really? keep failing and failing and failing. Why do you think and, you failed? Well, um, so I think in part because I didn't know what I wanted. Mm. Um, so we have to go back to junior high school clue. Okay. okay. Um, I gave, by the time we were in middle school, I gave up. Like I was, I had already given up on myself by the age of 13 or 14 years old. Yeah. Um, my entire childhood, and this is, I mean, this is like, I had like the silliest, loftiest, biggest dream, but you've got to understand, like I'm from this family where it's like success and boom and do and be and yeah. as big as you can, you know, like we're going to create all of these outrageous expectations and you're never going to get there and you're going to fall and you're going to crumble. And so the outrageous, huge, massive expectation that I had put on myself my entire childhood mm -hmm. was I was going to be a performer. Yeah, I was going to be and, and I wasn't just going to be a performer. I was going to be an actress yeah. and like a really good one. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to be like Meryl Streep, like no trashy teen movies <laughs> like no for me. Movie. Like I wanted to be an Academy Award winner. Sure. Like, I mean, I this is what I wanted when I was a kid and I auditioned for everything. And I just I I mean, I performed and I wrote and I mean, even as a kid, like I saw myself as this very creative person yeah. like all my a aim passwords were artist like <laughs> like should have tried to hack that exactly i mean like totally back then like 1998 yeah. like you know like it would have been easy that to hack makes sense your aim screen name was juliet <laughs> oh my god yeah. so yeah. i i started reading like i'm like the weirdo who started reading shakespeare at like eight years old sure because I want to, I was going to be this serious actress. And by the time we're like 14, um, the last, actually we're like 13. So like when we're 13, um, my mom's like gone off and like, I mean, she actually, she really did try to help. She like found like this acting company in Nashville, like that was like an agency, you know, to, for like, you know, small commercials and maybe sure. some like <clears throat> soap operas, Yeah, but she had gotten me in there and I, you know, I was going and I was doing headshots and stuff and I just remember kind of not feeling at ease there. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being like, these are commercials. They're teaching me how to hold a bar of soap so that I can present the label for the yeah. camera. Yeah. I want to do Shakespeare. Yeah. I want to be Meryl Streep. Did Meryl Streep ever hold a bar of soap and <laughs> yeah. sell, you know, sure. ivory? Like, I don't know, but sure. it felt so like. It just made me uneasy, even at 13 or 14. And then all at the same time, like I'm dealing with all of this like body image stuff and I'm going like I'm five foot nothing. I'm heavy for my weight or yeah. for my frame. You know, like I'm never was a skinny girl. Okay. I was always curvy. Mm. Um, and I just remember looking in the mirror one day and going, this is what you got to work with. Dang. You're never going to get what you want. Yeah. And I gave up at like 13 or 14 years old. I quit choir. I quit any kind of attempts at acting. Like I just, I let go of me. I mm. let go of the things that made me, me. And so I moved into high school and into call. And this goes into college, which sort of helps set that framework of like, how did you get here? Yeah. Of, um, I took all my energy and I put it towards, towards, um, writing and towards literary analysis. And so if I can't be a Shakespearean actress, I'll be an expert in Shakespeare. Mm. So I have a degree in early modern British literature, okay. like, and I can write analytical essays on Shakespeare. But what I 
but I stopped in college. Um, I, it was my senior year. I do this big presentation at this other university. It's not on Shakespeare. It was on John Milton, which the contemporaries okay. <laughs> and, um, Milton wrote Paradise Lost and I present this paper and this guy, it turns out like the, this whole talk was designed so that the, this other university's golden boy could shine really bright. Okay. It was like the weirdest thing I've ever experienced, yeah. like academically, professionally, like to like be invited to come speak and then be like, oh, this is all so you can like, you know, like dust your golden boy and then like shine him up like in public and like fostering is a real thing over him i mean like the professors were like fawning it was disgusting it was so disgusting and um anyhow so this golden boy comes up to me after this and uh he says to me you'd really benefit from like taking a couple years off and just reading before you go to graduate school Really? He's your age? He says that? I think he was older. I think he had taken a few years off to read before going to undergrad. And I spent the next day in my professor's office, my advisor, um, shout out to Scott Oldenburg at Tulane. Um, (laughs) And uh, Dr. Oldenburg was awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he basically let me sit in his room, in his office and like cry and like wonder about like who I'm supposed to be in the world for about like four or five hours. Like he would like get up and go teach his class and come back and be like, how you feeling? (laughs) I mean, he just like held so much space for me just to like, be like, what do I do? And it was in that conversation with him and he was a fairly new professor at the time. I think he's tenured at Tulane now, but um, he was a fairly new professor and he just goes, Liz, just so you know, like for every academic position in this field, for every five of us, there's only two jobs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't like those statistics. Apparently I'm crap at this yeah. and I need to spend three or four years reading. And of course, you know, like it didn't matter how many times he's like, you were great. Yeah. Like you were, you were one of my favorite students. Like you were here. Like, do you think this door opens? And like, that I let anybody come in here and cry? And yeah. <laughs> like, I couldn't see that at the time though. All I could hear was the criticism because like I said, like I come from this family culture where if you're not the best, if you're not the strongest, if you're not the most dominant, like you're nothing. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like just give it up. Yeah. Wow. Be the best or be nothing. And so that's really been a struggle for me in finding my thing. Um, so I gave up. I gave up literature, mm-hmm. gave up Shakespeare. And um, I, again, I'm supposed to be a writer. I know this, like in my guts, like I'm a writer. Like it's just part of who I am. Um, and so I'm like, I'll go be a food writer. So then I this start sounds badass. working in special. So I end up, I end up with a job with a celebrity chef. Are you <laughs> and, serious? Yeah, I worked for John Besh in New Orleans. And actually, um, Alon Shia was the executive chef. And Alon, um, he owns um, a shop. Well, hold on. He owns Saba. And I think it's Saba. I think it's like, I think they rhyme. But he's an Israeli chef. Yeah. But he opened an Italian restaurant in New Orleans. And um, I was supposed to be like, just like a prep cook. Yeah. And... We we're opening up this new restaurant. It was called Dominica. It was in the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans. And um, so we're, we're, we're like prepping to open this restaurant and they've hired this like baker, like an official real baker um, who had like been to like Culinary Institute of America yeah. and stuff. And he just like doesn't work out like before yeah. we've opened the restaurant. And so like Chef Alon like comes up to me and is like, you 
are the head baker in oh this restaurant. Gosh. And I've never worked in a restaurant in my life. Yeah. So, um, Anyhow, so I, I did that for a little bit. Um, and then I worked in other, but like that wore me down. Yeah. Um, and so then I worked in a specialty food um, up in Michigan when my husband was in law school. Mm. And that's what really crushed me. Um, I was working for like my dream company. Yeah. Like they are like so cerebral and analytical about like all their food. Like they're procuring like the best ingredients with the best story. I mean, like this company is like, like top tier as really? far as like, yeah, like they're just exceptional. We delivered a sandwich to Air Force One, like oh to President Obama. Like it was wait, wait. awesome. He asked y'all to deliver him a sandwich. We brought him a sandwich to the Listen, airport in Ann Arbor. I'm going like, to be completely, I'm going to be completely objective here. That's a dick move. <laughs> That's a dick move. You can tell someone like. Hey, uh, bring me a sandwich. That's not, that's my impression of Obama. <laughs> but like, really, deliver, oh they delivered God. it to like the airfield. Oh I mean, Lord. like, but I mean, like, I don't think it was like bring me a sandwich. No, it was no, like no, you know yeah. somebody from his team like called. Yeah. But I mean, we got to do some really really cool stuff there. But it was like, and and actually, I think you'll probably enjoy this. So I got to um, talk to Brian Greasy. Oh, did you? <laughs> he called and played. Yeah. He, like he called himself to play. Like origin catering, and he called himself to like place the order, and I'm like, I feel like your name's really familiar, and he's like, Yeah, this is for ESPN, and I was like, Oh, people are gonna be super impressed. I got to talk to you. He's like, I really love your sandwich. Like he like, it was like important that I got his order right. Like it was just funny, but um, but so like I, you know, I'm working for this big company. We cater like to these, I mean, just really cool stuff. I mean, anybody could eat at this place. It's not like, I mean, it's expensive, but it's not like exceptionally expensive. Sure. It was a really cool place to it's work. It's like $8,000 for, like for a PBJ. A, it's like, it's like a $15 Reuben that will change your life. I can do that. I yeah. Think, you could do this. Reuben. You're not going to do it every day, but yeah. you could totally do this. And like, you know, my husband's in law school at Michigan, yeah. which is like a top. The most expensive school. It's like, public okay. School. Yeah. And yeah. like his classmates are like, your sandwiches are too expensive. And I'm like, your school calls like twice a week and yeah. we cater your luncheons. Yeah. Like, don't give me crap. Like you have like a billion dollar degree. Yeah, like, man. don't give me crap about like my $15 sandwich. Sure. Like, but it was just like about like at every corner, like everybody's just kind of cutting at me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like what you're doing isn't good enough. Working in food wasn't good enough. Everything like, starts to mount up. Everything. And like, it was just all this criticism around me. And then like within the organization, like I was just like, how do I go up? How do I move forward? How do I grow? And I was told by one of my bosses, like, this isn't the type of place where you grow up like a tree. You grow out like a bush. Mm. And I was like, I am no damn bush. Like, and so, but I mean, that was what, 2010 to 2011. Mm -hmm. So we're talking like 10 years ago. I haven't recovered. Really? From that experience. It crushed me because since then it's been like, I've worked and I've done things, but it it's, I'm like afraid to dream. Um, because it's like, well, what difference does it make everything I start? Like I end up having to stop for one reason or another. And I mean, a large part of that was, you know, living with active addiction for a long time, you know, and it was like, my coping mechanism was like, well, what can I change? I can quit this job and I can go home and take care of the kids and make sure that at least this is stable, Mm -hmm. you know, but, um, but, you know, it was just, there's no place for me to grow. There's no place for me to bloom. There's no place for me to thrive. Like, how do I get to step into being myself when 
everything I try to do, like the naysayers are just nipping at my heels. And I am so externally focused that I'm going, well, if everybody thinks that what I'm doing is crap, then I'm crap. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. I can't do anything. And so it has been... I think finally the glass broke in my brain sometime in 2015. It was right at the beginning of 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter was like two weeks old. Mm-hmm. and Sounds like a prime time to lose your shit. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, it wasn't my shit. It was yeah. my husband's shit. Um, and uh, he was laid off. Yeah. And um, I was like, okay, this is it. This is my time. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Let's let me go back to grad school. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go back to grad school. I'm going to go get this to get a degree in something like we can put the kids in some daycare. Like, isn't you that crazy how it works? Like, like necessity is the they say, it's, it's true. What they say necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, and so whenever you have something that pops up, it's always because some bad shit happened. You know what I mean? And you're just like, all right, I've got to go. I've got to go and do this. Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't work. (laughs) So like, I mean, I got in, I I actually got in and I got scholarships and like, it was like a big damn deal. And I was like, super pumped. Like, I was just like, there is life for me. There's life for me out there in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, I didn't know. I at the time I didn't consciously understand that he was sick. Yeah. I didn't know what I was living with. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a word for it. Mm-hmm. I just knew that he was really restless and irritable, and he just wasn't. Um, he just seemed a little broken, you know. And unlike not, I don't want to get fixed. Broken, mm-hmm. you know. Like when you're just like, like this is my misery. Like I'm just, I'm, and I'm married to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was married to his misery. And he just kind of just dug his heels in and didn't want to move, like didn't want to do it, didn't like just do anything. And then it turns out like it was going to be super expensive to do it all. And it just anyhow, it imploded. And but like but that moment, regardless of the disappointment, was like the spark. It was the initiation. It was the I want my life back. Mm -hmm. I don't want to drown anymore. I don't want to die out here. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about this time he's getting sicker. And I'm trying to get better. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to start businesses. I'm trying to just do things and I'm trying, but nothing's holding. And so every failure and really my failures are just to give up. Hmm. It's not like, it's like a, you got to the precipice and then you fell down the mountaintop. Hmm. It's like a, you got to the, you got to a point point and you said, I'm just going to go pick another path. See, you know? that's the, that's one of the things that I even said in the last episode and and I, I come from experience on on that stuff too. It's when you when you find your thing, it's convenient. That's all it is. It's just convenient, and it's easy to quit your thing because all sorts of stuff is going is going to pop up in there. But just like I said in that episode, when you find your fucking thing, you're going to defend it, right? And you're going like there is nothing that is going to get in the way. And I don't mean that to gas you up because you end up <laughs> pissing people off. Like it's, it's not convenient. It's not convenient at all. Like every, no one, I don't want to have to record. We record an episode every Sunday, 3 PM. And I've done this for since 2018, since June, I think June, 2018, every Sunday, 3 PM, we go down and record an episode. It's not for any other reason, but because when you find something that you're that's 100% like, this is my calling, if you will. You're just going to protect it no matter what. I, I've re- I rearranged my entire day around that. And it's and yes, it, it does inconvenience tons of stuff. I notice it, but it's like, 
when you have that one thing, it's like nothing's going to get the way. And the, the craziest part is that you're you're not going to get the support that you think that you need or something. It, you're going to learn that it all comes from within. It's like, and that's what makes it special, but that's what also makes it really hard. And if you're a pleaser like me, yeah. like you'll do what I do. And it's like, Hey, did you, did you hear that? What did you think of it? What did you see? And if you, I know. We oh, were I talking, know. I'm the same thing. Yeah, way. We were talking about before we were recording, how yeah. you were interested in starting a podcast. If you, and I can tell you, you, you might look at numbers. You might be analytical. You'll start to look at your followers. So you'll start to look at your podcast downloads and all this other stuff. And at the beginning, you're going to think you're absolute dog shit because <laughs> your numbers are going to be low or they might be high for a little bit, but then people just kind of like Favorite. trickle off. Yeah. And so one That's of the things too, Instagram. Huh? Oh, bro, yeah. Instagram. but one of the things though, that if you make sure that you're authentic, it's only going to be about you. And I don't mean that in a selfish way. Yeah. Like people will want to see the process. And for most people, process isn't going to be pretty and they're going to fall off. And this it's going to be people that you would think would be listening to your stuff. It'd be like, oh, it makes sense. But like, that's just not their thing. And you can't hold them. Right. You can't hold no, them And that's like them. so much, like that's such a huge part of like where I am at yeah. this point is like, I don't know. Um, so you know, we've talked a bit about like my story and sort of how I got to where I am. And I know like we're kind of like mid chapter or something, but <laughs> the critical thing for me is, you know, it's important to like lay out the story just so people know like a reference of like where I'm coming from. But like the biggest place where I am now is like, I can't begrudge people for where they are yeah. like, and you know, you put out things and you like want people to connect with it, but like you can't force connection nope. and you can't make people understand. And so like, you know, it's one of the things that comes up with me because I actually like authenticity is like my core mm. number one value. Mm -hmm. Like in all things, I seek to be authentic. Mm. Um, but, um, in doing that, sometimes, you know, like you get on social media and like, you're just sort of like, eh, I feel like crap today. Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You feel like you get like these feedback of like, oh, let me fix it. What can I offer? Like, what can I bring? Like, I'm so sorry. And you're like, you're like, I love you. And you are so amazing and generous and kind and loving and wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I just want to create space for other people to yeah. share their crap. Yeah. Like, and the reason why I like social media for that isn't like that. I'm, I mean, it's not so much like pay attention to me. It's more like, what is it that we need to say that we won't say because we don't feel safe mm. and because we feel like we're supposed to guard and protect these corners of our lives, you know? And it's just like we coming forward with my story, you know, we were talking about this before we turned on the recorder was that, you know, I came out initially and I was like, I write about codependency, which was a word that I didn't even identify with. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I still have it like on my profile, because like I said before, like it's a beacon for women like me who have lived through what I've lived through. Um with which is actually having a spouse that is in recovery or in active addiction. And so and so it was so I mean that felt inauthentic, but it didn't take me long before entering after entering that space to be like, screw it. Mm. Like 
he has his problems, but his problems aren't my story. Exactly. And I was invisible for so long mm-hmm. in all of his story. Like I just didn't come into the picture and I'm no, I'm not special yeah. in that. Like there are so many spouses that are invisible in their worlds. They're invisible in their family systems. They're invisible in the criminal justice system. They're invisible in the addiction and rehabilitation system. They're invisible. They're just like the placeholders. They're just the people who hold together the world. Sure. But they're not treated like people who have trauma, people who have been through hell and were wide awake for it. Yeah. You know? One thing that I that I want you to be that I want you to be cognizant of. And it's just what I've noticed in what you were saying, where I think that you'll again, want to be cognizant of is making sure that you maintain this balance. The, you had said that when you were younger, you felt that you were, you had to take care of your brother, your brother and sisters. And you, in a way you were their champion, Liz. And so I just want to make sure that with the stuff that you're thinking about right now, the people that aren't getting viewed, the people that aren't getting seen, I want you to make sure that you're not being champion list for them because you see how easy it is to fall into the same thing where you're like, okay, I've got to write content for these people. I've got to make a blog. I have to release a podcast episode for these people. Yeah. The big thing is, is the process of you and that's it. And you might realize that, and I've, I had to come to the same realization that the content that I release, whether it's solo stuff that I do, or if it's stuff with the guys, it's, it can't be for one person. It can't be for a mass of people. Like we do it for our development. And mm-hmm. when people see that process of your development, that, that alone is going to be what could possibly help them. One thing that you said could have taken someone off the ledge or help someone get a little further or something like that. That's where it's been for me. So the, there, there will be different episodes that, um, that I refer to at, at just different points in my life. So there was one concept that, um, that we made up on an episode and I called it taking the gloves off. So in, and this is crazy because only some meathead, you know, dumbass dudes would like come up with this. But like they were talking about, you know, about MMA and UFC and all that kind of stuff. In like a, I'm a very, you know, you, in a, in a very like hands off kind don't of Don't have to. Yeah. Like so a, like, a, oh, I've seen that. So you know how they wear gloves on their hands when they, when they hit. Well, so they do. They mm-hmm. wear like yeah. slightly weighted gloves. Is that what those are? Uh, yeah, I tape. Uh, well, there's tape on oh, okay, okay, okay. but they put gloves on. But what that does psychologically to your brain is that when you, when your brain feels like it's protected, a body part is protected. It has way less regard for it because if you were to punch someone in the face with your bare hand, you have a risk of breaking your hand if you hit them in the wrong spot. And also you can break their face if you, you know, but you hit with way more velocity and way more power when your hand is wrapped up. So we have this concept of taking the gloves off when I argue. So like if I argue with, like my wife or something like that, I tried again, total dick still. Right. But when I, and this is, this is everyone, but it's, it's truthfully been like, since uh, we came up with this concept, when I argue with her or with anyone, I try to make sure that I take the gloves off because the haymakers that I might throw at someone verbal haymakers 
when when you start to see the damage that you do to a yeah. person like you you see the broken hand on yourself you start to see the damage that it does to you yeah and so i say that because I was only able to realize that stuff when I made the podcast about my development, not trying to help other people or save mm-hmm. other people. So it's about you. Like this is yeah. this is your time to be selfish here. That's you know what actually I'm a really cool invitation <laughs> because as much as like you know, it's it's been kind of funny. Like I've had this. Okay, well we're we're gonna talk about some silly stuff for it's a second. Fine. Okay, so um my. Part of what Champion Liz, Champion Liz is the space for me to explore, like, who I am, who do I want to be? So I'm, like, digging back and, like, doing weird stuff. Like, I started taking a ballet class because I danced when I was a kid. Of course, I've screwed up my foot and I can't dance. (laughs) But um, I'm 33, so, you know, it's just par for the course. Only Um, downhill. But it's only downhill. You sore yet? Um, oh, absolutely. But I go to the gym all the time. (laughs) I lift and I'm still just like, Uh, um, but, um. Started started taking voice lessons um, because I wanted to really get my voice back. Um, you know, you were talking about like laying haymakers on people. Well, when we were kids, man, I could have torn your ass up. Yeah. Like I was vicious. Yeah. Like I had a mouth. Mm-hmm. I like how you're acknowledging this. Like, no, yes, no, no, I do no. remember Liz, I Liz I was a I pistol. I was all. a firecracker. Sure. Like, I mean, I really was. I was like the kid because I was responsible for all of these people. And, and I took this on and I was, and I was very confident in it. Mm-hmm. I was good fake mom. Yeah. And I was a good, and I was a good student. And I was, I did everything I was supposed to do. I was in all the AP classes. Like I was on it. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I was destined to, to take over the world. Sure. And so, you know, I would lay into people. I mean, I could tear somebody up and not feel bad about it. I mean, I was awesome. There was a moment I had just finished college and, um, I was with like I was with my husband and I was with my parents and my some one of my parents misbehaved <laughs> and I lit up like yeah. a firecracker. I mean, and we're talking like blind rage. Yeah. Like I mean, like I feels snap. good, doesn't oh, it? God, I miss that God yeah, it feels so good. I miss it. But yeah. let me tell you, he looked at me and he was like, "If you ever do that again, I'm leaving." Yeah. I've never done it again. I've <laughs> never done it again. Through all the crap he's put me, like, I mean, and I love him. And, and through all, get it. all the it, yeah. stuff that's happened with us and all the stuff that's happened with like family and just all the stuff, just all of that anger that I used to like be able to project out and like just rage about against, you know, everybody being stupid. Yeah. Oh, everybody was so stupid. Yeah. I took all of that and internalized it. Mm-hmm. It all became the weapons against Liz. Yeah. You are stupid. Mm -hmm. You are a failure. You're incapable. You're kept and trapped and broken and useless. And it all just, it came whoosh, whoosh again. So all those haymakers that I laid and man, I was so good at it. I was so good at it. They're all mine now. Mm -hmm. They're all my bruises. They're all my scars. They're all my regrets. They're all the things that I seek atonement for every day. Um, and, and it's funny, you know, as much as I've put myself through the battering ram, I mean, I've torn myself into pieces. Something about that process allowed me to start seeing the best in other people. Mm. It allowed me to start seeing, 
other people's humanity. Because honestly, like, I don't think that as a child, I understood that other people had real feelings. Like I knew how to take care of people's needs, but I don't think that I understood. And I knew I had very deep feelings, but I don't think that I understood that other people, I, I didn't understand the importance of other people's realities and the value of other people. And one of the core things that has come out of my experience with, you know, over the last few years has been just such an appreciation for the beauty in everyone. Mm. Um, It's hard to see. It's awesome to see. It's like the best blessing because all of a sudden I don't see all the divisions and all the separations between us. I see us as reflections of one another. And you know, all those buttheads that we like went to school with that you want to be like, Oh, I like really don't want to talk to them when I see them. I'm like, Hey, yeah. Because I, I want to know, man, I want to <laughs> know, like, what are you doing now? How have you changed? How have you transformed? Like, I want forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I want so much forgiveness from everybody else. Like, I was a rotten little crap-tastic kid. But do you need, but do you need I don't that? need it. Okay. I don't need it. But I want to, I offer it to everyone. Yeah. And my prayer is like, maybe we can all get there. Mm-hmm. Maybe every one of us can get to a space where we can love and accept each other in all of our darkness and all of our light and all of our shadow. You know, we're all flawed. We're all deeply broken people. And, um, and, you know, just being able to appreciate that at our, you know, that at our core, like we're all beloved, we're all these beloved, whatever your faith practice may be. Like I kind of see us all as sort of, somebody is in awe of us. I call that person God, but like, it's, you know, we are all like a creation Mm. and to be able to acknowledge like the divinity within everyone. I, I just, that's been a really great part of the last couple of years of like, how do I get better? How do I find a place to find myself in the world in a world where, you know, I was supposed to succeed by like 25 or whatever, some ridiculous expectation, you know, how do I forgive myself for not being this exceptional human being that I was supposed to be? And how do I carve myself a path forward? Well, I have found that the path forward is through connection with others and through that shared humanity. Um, And so, you know, as far as, and, and that and it's allowing myself the freedom to be human, sure. to be truly human and vulnerable and authentic and open and to experiment and fail. That's and, a big thing. Please. Yeah. And That's to like suck. Yeah. Like I'm taking these voice lessons and I hate my voice and yeah. it sucks and it's hard. And you're going to love hearing yourself after it's going <laughs> to, I don't think I'm going to listen to this because I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, you should have had a plan. Um, yeah. Cause yeah. we're just like all over the place, but it's, That's how it's, it should it's be. fabulous. Everyone, but, everyone has a plan in these, whenever they, <laughs> they do a recording, trust me, everyone has one. And then it's just like, uh, when, when you wrote your big giant disclaimer to me yesterday, I thought we were going to talk about some other stuff yeah, that I don't I think like, we're going to get into. I was like, nah. um, but, uh, it was, but yeah, I don't know. Um, so anyhow, so like the, um, the, the journey, uh, the whole journey, like led me to, um, a place where, um, 
I had to finally realize, and this kind of goes back to your haymakers and the mm-hmm. brain stuff. Um, I finally got to a point in my life where I realized that I needed friends more than anything. Okay. Um, I was in a dangerous situation where, I mean, by dangerous, I mean, like, I just, it felt unsafe. Um, Don't uh, discount danger for you because, you know, it's it could be for, yeah. you see extremely like privileged, loaded people kill themselves, you know? And so, and I mean, they're, yeah. they're, you know, and mental health has been like a huge thing for me. I mean, like, I mean, we can, I don't know, maybe we should talk about that at another time, but like, well, like, I mean, I'll be honest, like I was suicidal by middle school. Yeah. Like I'm in multiple really, really pathetic, like, pathetic. I mean, like, not like real, like, it's not like there was like, it was superficial attempts by in like junior holding high. your breath or something like that. <laughs> drinking things I shouldn't be drinking, sure. taking stuff. I mean, like, and I mean, I started trying, I wanted to be a bad kid so bad. Yeah. Like I tried so hard to get in like sex and drugs yeah. and I just didn't, couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Like, but I wanted to be so, so bad because like nothing was, I was so depressed as a kid. I mean, and you know, and it was just, it was just, it, I just had a really, really hard time coming up. I hated myself. I hated, like, ev- I hated my, I hated everybody around me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I have lived in a world completely of disconnection. Mm-hmm. I wasn't connected to the community. Um, I kind of like my family was it, and I had all these responsibilities at home. And then I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going, you're 14, 13, 14 years old, and you're never going to be able to have like the dream that you've dreamed for yourself your whole life. Like I didn't have anything. Hmm. All I had was like seeking out, like, how do I fill this void? Well, maybe I could find a boy that'll love me. Hmm. Well, maybe I can fill it up with, you know, alcohol, steal my dad's Southern comfort, you know, like maybe I can fill these, these holes and like, Thank God for school guidance counselors. That's like, what's up. dude, I'm telling, I mean, I, I, you know, I said 12, I mean, it's, I didn't attempt to hurt myself until middle school, but, um, I was going to the school therapy or the school counselor in elementary school. They were pulling me out like secretly. Yeah. I just found this out that it was secret, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you're like, sweet, I get to go. Oh, well, yeah. Like, I mean, class. I just, I just remember like, I remember there was like this, do you remember the Berenstain Bears? Hell yeah. Okay. So Berenstain Bears were awesome, but there was like a video about self-esteem and like every time we'd watch it, I would be like, it's so mad. Cause I'd be like, I don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. Like it didn't like those words didn't mean anything to me. Like it, I didn't understand it. Mm. Like how could you have value for just being you? Like you have to prove something you have to met. It's like, you got to weigh it and measure it. Like there's dollar signs attached to it. Like you got to create it. Have you learned that you have to create your value? No one can assign that to you. No amount of followers, no amount of podcast listeners. I am so still there. there, I am so still struggling with that. And it's okay. It's totally totally okay to like struggle with it. Um, and I'm really glad that I'm in a place where I can be honest about that because I think there's so many people out there who do struggle with it and like they can't, they don't even have the, and maybe they're not like on their introspection journey to a point where they've even consciously understood that, yeah. you know? And I think, you know, one of the things that, um, that, you know, I've learned along the way is that like, 
that is one of my gifts, like introspection. And that is part of the reason why I need to write because a lot of people don't do this like really deep, awful, <laughs> excruciating moral inventory yep. and um, soul excavation that yep. I've always done. I've always just been like, digging through all my crap. Yeah. But, um, but it's, and it's beautiful. Like that's what now we call I our sausage it. making sessions. Yeah. Because you're, yes, obviously you're putting yourself through the ground, but like, you're, you're not going to get it right. You're going to say stuff that's wrong. The, the sound quality may not be as what you think. So yeah. you're not focusing on anything out there. You're just being, yeah, it's just the present moment. It's like hard to I do cannot, that. like in this moment, I cannot plan. Like I know that I'm like, like we're supposed to be talking about like finding your fucking thing. And I'm like, have we gotten to my thing? And I'm like, you know, this is it. This, this is, is the journey. Like this is saw, it. Like it's all stop. the journey. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but, but so much of like, you know, I joke about, you know, like the champion Liz, like the queen of all failures, but like the champion part of it is like, I won't give up. I, for some reason, I can't die. Like I can't stop. Like I'm not going to give up. Like I'm going to seek joy in all things. And I'm going to find something that I do really, really well. And I don't know why it has to be a doing thing. <laughs> I think you found it. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to put thoughts and stuff like that in, in your head, but I I think that you found it. It's, but it's also, again, to, to revert to another episode, it is, I put finding your fucking thing on the level of finally realizing your faith and understanding it. And this is coming from someone who doesn't go to like church or anything yeah. like that, but when you find your faith and you find your fucking thing, it is like saying one plus one is 74,000. It doesn't make sense to you. It's not supposed to. Yeah. So why do we spend any time trying to defend it or trying to t- or defend in this terms of like legitimize it to other people? That's yeah. what makes it special. And it's, and it's going to guide you to do things that you never thought that you would do or never thought that you would think. And when you sort of also learn to, sit with yourself and not in yourself because sitting in yourself, you get caught up in emotions, you get caught up in all this other stuff and you get caught up in negative thoughts and all this kind of stuff. But when you sit with yourself, it is kind of like looking at a mirror and taking notes and being like, you you seem to be more objective of it. And uh, I think it's easier to have more ownership of, of what's going on. And then when you have ownership of stuff, your mindset will then change and nothing really seems so negative anymore. So when I think of what you were saying when you were um, when you were 13, you gave up, you failed. In my head, it's just something it's just a phase that got completed. So in our, in our episode, we were talking about it was just a bunch of, again, some like cheese dick dudes. We were talking about uh, it was our episode called Love Rhymes with Hideous Car Wreck. And uh, we were all talking about relationships that at first you would think of as being failed. But we said we changed the, the script and said they're completed. Yeah. Because if you grew, if you learned something, then you're then it's a good thing. And if and if Liz is happy with who she is right now and is on a path that other people are not going to understand, but like they're just they're going to have to feel it and see it and all this kind of stuff and, and the acts that you perform and the things that you say and the things that you do, then everything that happened before. You, it's like I cannot see it as anything other than a good thing. It's it's part of the process. I think that for me, I mean, I think that part of the 
you know, part of the reason why I use the word fail isn't necessarily like that I'm attached to like identifying them as failures, though maybe I need to let that word go. But it's honestly, it's kind of a mourning. Okay. It's like a, it's like a, I can look back and I like, it's like, like every time I ascribe like, oh, the fail, like, you know, that feeling of failure or that feeling of like, really, it's like a letting go, like a let up, like Mm. I let it go. Yeah. Um, And I look back and I mourn, like I mourn for the 13 year old girl. I Mm. wish I could go back through that mirror and hug her, Mm. you know, like, and I look back at the memories of college and I'm like, girlfriend, you've got so many good things going on. Like, you've got the grades, you've got a good job. Like I had great support when I was down in New Orleans. Like I had so many good things, but I didn't believe in myself. Like I thought I needed to, I I had the boyfriend. I needed to get married. I needed to have the family so that I could prove that I was a good mom. Like, and that was, and, and that was just like this insidious, again, I think it's like that culture of codependency and sort of this patriarchal sort of, environment that I grew up in was like my chief value, no matter what was going to be in my capacity to like mother. Um, and so I just didn't fight. Mm. I didn't fight. Nobody did this to me. And that's a huge part of why I need to talk about this. Nobody did this to me. It's nobody's fault. Like people made mistakes along the way. People didn't support me at times or, you know, systems failed. But I never made bold, drastic action to say I'm done with the way that I'm living. Yeah. I took, I took, I, I would find any side door that I could. Yeah. But I never directly looked it in the eye and said, I deserve better. Mm-hmm. I'm worth more. Because, and like we said earlier, like I'm still struggling to attach to that worth. Yeah. And, you know, I came in and I gave you a book as a gift. Mm-hmm which is Henry Nowen's Life of the Beloved, which I was telling you came to me. Um, it, it came to me twice before I would read it. Um, and once I did, I was like, this is it. This is this is it. And Henry Nowen, one of the things that he says in the early chapters of this book, um, he is mentoring. He's a Catholic priest. He's mentoring this young Jewish journalist who's really struggling. He's trying to, he's trying to write a book. Mm. Um, he's trying to do his fucking thing yeah. and he's really struggling. And, um, and they develop this friendship and they start writing letters back and forth. And the, um, the student or the, the journalist, he's like, would you please write a book for my friends who are agnostic and atheist about what it means to live a spiritual life? Not necessarily like a religious life, but a spiritual life. And so Henry Nowen does his best. And in the end, his, his friend is kind of like, eh, it wasn't exactly, yeah. it was a little too religious even yeah. for like my friends. And, and Henry admits to all of this, but in it, he says, what, um, he says, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's basically like, what is friendship more than like offering the gift of my belovedness to you? And I can only offer my belovedness as much as I claimed it for myself. Yes. So I can't give you, I can only give to you and to the world what I have claimed for myself. So you remember that when you're helping people and you're doing your exactly thing, like it's got to, it's I, I ha- it has yeah. to start with me and it has to grow up through me. And it did give me that permission to be like, 
I got to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Like I've got to take care of me. I can't earn love by through service. It depletes me. Yeah. Like I can't, I, I got to stop over committing. I've got to stop. I've got to work on boundaries. I've read like six books on boundaries <laughs> in the last year. Um, but, but that was like a huge, huge thing for me was just being able to be like, and, and, and I think that when that book came into my life, it was like, just, it was just the worst. It was the, it was, it was the rock bottom moment. And I had to lean on friends and a community that I barely knew. Um, I was living out in Glasgow and I hadn't been there very long. Mm. And so much to do over there. I know. <laughs> I love Glasgow. Like, I, I, like I, that. Love, I just came back from there. Love today. Glasgow. Yeah. I love it with all my heart. Like they need it a is coffee the, shop, but they do okay. have a coffee shop, the Fine Arts Bistro. Go Where, see Danny on, on the square. Okay, so I, I called like three people today and I was like, if I can't get some kind of coffee, Go to the, I'm going to blow up. The Fine Arts Bistro on the square. My friend Danny Williams is the owner and it's fabulous. All right, cool. Now I know. I'm going to yeah, go there. Yeah, it's on the square. Um, cool. Sorry. So, no, it's cool. It's cool. I will pitch Glasgow <laughs> all day long. Love you, Glasgow. Um, but uh, so I'm in Glasgow, like, and I kind of had moved there sort of to create more space and a buffer between me and Bowling Green and mm-hmm. my relationship with Bowling Green was toxic i mean it was it was you know this was the place of everything that i failed to amount to be this was the place like i didn't i like lived here for like four years i didn't have like solidly good friends and then like i I just i didn't have community i just everywhere i went i felt like i was being sized up and down and like oh look at lizzie she didn't turn out to be anything other than somebody's mama you know like i mean it just was just my confidence and my self-esteem was so gross (laughs) like ah you need to go pray for him or give him a hug but the thing is is like you know because other people are just sizing you up to be like ah you only got that big look yeah. at you you know yeah. you only got that swole like yeah. you know and so I'm, <laughs> so I'm go about to Glasgow and I'm like anonymous and it's yeah. like gorgeous like I'm like I'm like I can say my name and nobody knows who it is and what it means yeah. you know and it was awesome but I show up there like literally like in the pit of all my darkness and I'm finding that like my family is incapable of being there and supporting me like for their own reasons they're that where they are on their life path like they could not show up for me in that space either emotionally physically like it's okay um and I had to and I had a few good friends but like out of like falling on my face and just really ending up in the mud like all these people came all mm. these people just showed up yeah. to lift me up and to wash me clean and to love on me and it was the most beautiful thing i've ever ever seen and so for me like friendship became like this critical core value like in all things i'm going to seek friendship and connection mm. i am going to lead with kindness and love and understanding and empathy and authenticity yeah. because like i want to be an invitation I want other people to look at me and go, Liz can hold space for me. Like I can come to her with what's real or she can. Or she can openly say, (laughs) or I can say, I don't have time, but generally I don't. Um, (laughs) Generally I'm like, I will make an inch for you. (laughs) I need to work on my boundaries. I'm still working on those boundaries and worthiness. But, um, but yeah, so, um, one of the cool things that, and what's really cool is like what I love about like where I am right now Mm -hmm. is that, 
I'm able to look back and I'm able to see things that I couldn't see in the moment. Yeah. So um, I brought it with me. Um, I'm reading this book. It's called The Body Re- Keeps the Score. Oh, man. Brain, Mind and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to butcher this, but it's like by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm-hmm. Something. We'll take a picture. We'll yeah, we'll take a picture. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. But um, so I'm reading this book. And there is, and and I'm terrible with like details, so just read the book. <laughs> um, but there's an experiment in it where they've got, and I've talked, I've told this like ten people in the last week. Like I'm going to become the girl who talks about these damn mice. But there's these mice, okay? There's two groups of mice, and there's one group of mice that comes from abundance <laughs> um, and love and comfort, and everybody has like this warm nest, and there's ample food, and everybody's comfortable. And there's this other group of mice. And they come from scarcity and there's not a lot of food and it's uncomfortable. And they have all these mice playing together and then they shoot off a loud sound and all the mice scurry home. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that the house didn't have food. It didn't yeah. matter that the house wasn't safe. doesn't matter. It's home. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that transpired during this transformation within me over the past few years was I was able unconsciously, totally unconsciously to shift who is my home. Mm. So it used to be when I would come into You're crisis. You're answering so many questions that I want to ask. So keep going. So, <laughs> so in my crisis moments, yeah. it would be usually, it used to be like, I'd call like a family member, you know, and, and like I said, like I realized that they were in a place I realize now I didn't realize at the time I was just mad about it. Um, But I realize now like they just were not in an emotional, physical place where they could be there for me Mm -hmm. and be my support. But I had a friend in Glasgow, which is the magical place um, (laughs) named Lisa. And Lisa became home. And I didn't realize this. Like, and until like I read that book yeah. and then I was talking to her and I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I did. That's what my little squirrely brain did. Mm-hmm. Anytime anything bad would happen, I could pick up the phone and I could call her. Mm-hmm. She would show up. And anytime where I was like feeling insecure, I could go to her house. Mm-hmm. And the funniest part of it is, is like, this is how deep like the shift was. Yeah. It got, I didn't, I didn't understand it. <laughs> Every time I'd go into her house, I'd like start raiding the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> I'd raid the fridge and like, I'd like go through the pantry yep. and I'm like, I'm like, I don't do this at other friends' houses. Like, what is this? Like, what is wrong with, yes. like, with this? And it got to a point where I could call her and she, she would make me this tea. And I could call her and be like, I need to come to mom's. And I, got, I started calling at mom's house. Yeah. Like, and I totally didn't understand what was happening. But I was like, I was like, I'm just going to start calling your house mom's house. Mm-hmm. Like when I caught myself right in the pantry. And so I could call her and be like, I just need a mom's house moment. Yeah. And I would come to her house and she would have a cup of tea for me. And she would make me popcorn homemade, like on so the stove. Cool. She's such a good mom. Yes. She's like, and like she jokes, she's like, Liz, I'm like 10 years older than you. I'm like, it doesn't matter because you feel like home. Yes, you yes. feel safe yeah. in a, an environment and in a culture and in a world where I felt unsafe and unwanted and unnecessary and unworthy. You have always made me feel safe and you have mm-hmm. always made me feel loved. Yeah. And 
for someone like me who's trying to rebuild and who's and, and really building for the first time. I mean, I've got to be really honest about that. I mean, like we're building a person. I'm 33. I'm building me for the first time, really. You know how many people, though, are will never realize that? You know what I mean? Like how many people are still going through life? And it's not our place to sit there and and judge if they've re- if they figured stuff out or anything, but like that moment where you where you find out exactly who you are or or who you aren't for some people, for some people, it never happens for some people it happens way later on down in life. And then you have this moment where you're like, holy shit, I've wasted so much time. But because of the the journey that I think that you're going on and again this is yours so yeah tell me no you know what i mean but i feel like just just figuring that out it doesn't matter how old you are and when you are in the right mindset you'll almost be thankful that at least you figured it out it's not even going to be like oh i'm 33 and i just now got it like you just i'm glad that i'm free now well exactly and then uh, there is a part of there's a part of me that's like that and then there's there's a part of me that's like oh thank goodness like i get to be this person i get to be this liz today Mm -hmm. like that's an awesome gift and then there's part of me that like looks at people who like have it together or at least appear to have it together and i'm like why can't i have that road like why do i have to write walk on this path but the thing is is like i said earlier like i was designed for this i mean i think that my entire life was blue. Mm. Everything was shades of blue. Yeah. Um, I suffered a horrific early childhood trauma mm-hmm. um, that colored everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, and, you know, and I think and I and I was not going to talk about this, but like I kind of feel like I need to share it because I think it's an important chapter. And I think that there are other people out there that are holding on to these stories that need to know that they're not alone. Um, I'm going to make it through this, but, um, and I can usually talk about this. Like I'm and I'm actually pretty open with it. Um, I don't hide it. Um, uh, but it was one of those things that when I was growing up, it was one of those things like zip it, like don't talk about this. Um, but, um, I was four when I was, when a man attempted to kidnap me and molested me. Like, yeah, I mean, I was four years old and, you know, and, and the thing is, is when something like that happens to you, it's with you forever. And it reared up in middle school. You know, I'm going to my parents going, I remember this happening. I'm not virgin. And just like kind of the shock and horror in their faces. And, you know, and I'm seeking and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I'm filthy. I'm dirty. I'm disgusting. You know, like and yeah. and I'm unworthy and I'm unlovable. Like, you know, because this happened to me when I was a little kid and and it became like the and, and like there's something about that trauma that, you know, you do start to see you, you, you want everybody to pay attention to you. You want like you've you got this hole you can't fill. And the only thing that fills it is like external validation. Yeah. And so um, and and, you know, and the thing is, is like I'm so much better than I was. I mean, I was I've been through lots of therapy, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, like it's hard to explain that like I couldn't send my son to kindergarten when he was five. 
because I had panic attacks the entire summer because I was having these horrific flashbacks because he's in my head, he was my age. So I'm imagining like sending him to school and not being able to see him. So I go take a job in the school office so that I can be there because I can't manage my trauma. And with that in mind, do you wonder though, if like, if our parents have also experienced just different stuff. So they're, they're just respond, they're responding or reacting to stuff from whatever they grew up with. Exactly. And so like, for example, for me, we grew up, I'm first generation American. We came here with, with nothing. And so we, it, for the mindset for, for us, it was always like, it was just money because we, you know, we had welfare checks coming in. We had all this other kind of stuff. We didn't have much at all, you know? And so it was, it was very different seeing our mindset. And I, I, I even deal with it now. I've talked about it multiple times on our podcast. Like when, when my dad gets any money or anything, his first thing to do, at least what it seems is to send it back to Nigeria because it could always be worse at the oh, end of the day. Wow. It can always be worse than, what we have right here. So it would come at the cost of like the house falling apart or not being able to take care of certain things. So me now at 33, I make sure that all my shit is handled first now on my front because I'm just responding to what he did and the entire time. And I'm very thankful that he was like this. I remember uh, when we were young and my dad would, he and I got, I, I, well, I was, I was angry with him. So it was one of those things. I think, I feel like every kid has this moment where they're just pissed off at their parents and stuff. So I took it a step and, and I went and talked to him. And I remember I sat down in his office and I was like, I'm tired of living in your shadow. We both worked at the same place. You know, I was, I was sick of living in a shadow. I didn't want to, I'm, I'm just Dr. Njaku's son. I'm not anything else. And, you know, everyone, you're different with my sisters than you are with me and all this stuff. And, and he told me, he was just like, he, he kind of laughed for a second. He was like, son, I didn't raise you to be like me. I raised you to be better. This is why I was harder on you. I was hard on you about this stuff. This is why you saw when our car got repossessed, I had you come outside and watch the tow truck come and take this stuff away from us. And it's because I want you to be better than me. Like it. And it was one of those things acknowledging like that you almost can't escape certain things. Yeah. You know, there's just, you get to a certain point where it's just like, this is who I am. And you, when you accept it and you own it and you're at a certain age, it's like, okay, I respect that. I'll do what I can to handle my stuff and then help out however I can. So there's a, I think that there's a certain point, especially as a parent where it's like, you, we can fight all day to change the damage and all the other stuff that has been done. But like there's, there has to be some level of acceptance mm-hmm. and, uh, and then just knowing like you can't fix all the damage that was done to you or you can, or you can't fix that for your kid or something like that. Yeah. All you can do is the best that you can do and put yourself in a, in a, put them in a position to be as successful as possible. And it's not, it may not happen in your lifetime. It may happen further on down, multiple generations down. And it's just as long as you're doing your part to not be a part of that cycle, that's all that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I hope that you don't feel this crazy amount of pressure to be like, oh, I've got to make sure that my kid like you're already doing you're already doing it. 
Yeah. You know, you're already like you're doing the work that needs to be done. Like and and you're you're living your life openly and you're you know, you're honoring your trauma is what I think that you're doing. You know, you, you've understood all the stuff that has happened, but it's still just a process. And there's some things that you cannot protect against. Right. Know? I mean, that's and, and that's like definitely a part of where I am is like these awful, horrific things happen to me. Mm-hmm. Awful, horrific things happen to everyone. Mm. We don't talk about it. Yes, that's the truth, I'm, man. I'm, let's talk about it. Yeah. Like, let's talk about the awful, horrific things. Like, I just told you, like, my deep, I mean, I just sure. told your entire audience, like, my deepest, darkest trauma. Sure. And the reason isn't, it's not that I, like, want sympathy. No, it's yeah, that it's, yeah. it's that, it's that I'm not going to let it color the rest of my life. Yeah. Those balls are blue. Yeah. I can't change the color of the past. Mm-hmm. I look back at it. I mourn it. I, I feel bad for it. I love those children that I see when I look back mm-hmm. and I say, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I and, and I try to, you know, when those memories pop up to, to love that child mm-hmm. in that space. But moving forward, like, like. I seek joy. Yeah. I want it, man. I want it. And I get it. And I find it. And when I look at my kids and so much gratitude, so much gratitude, because honestly, if I hadn't been through all of my hell, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's part of like this forgiveness journey too. If I hadn't been through all of this hell, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't feel the gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like I know what the darkness looks like and I get to live in the light. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so I'm filled with gratitude I'm, mm. and forgiveness comes easy for me mm. at this point. I mean, there are days the hardest person to forgive is myself, Sure. but forgiving other people is pretty easy uh, because again, being able to recognize like they're just like, at, not for me. They're just at where they <laughs> yeah. are in their journey. And yeah. like, especially with parents, yeah. especially when you've got like, you know, our parents are probably, you know, minus 60s, 70s. Yeah, and, and I look at them and I, you know, and I, I don't resent them for who they couldn't be. Mm-hmm. They are who they That's are. That's really good. You don't resent them for who they couldn't be. They are who they are. They are products of their environment. Mm-hmm. They are. Pro- and, and you know what? Like I said, we've all got our own trauma. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what their stories yeah. are. Um, it's actually kind of interesting because I'm very, very open. Mm-hmm. I come from a family that's very, very close. We're responding to our parents. So so. I'm, like, I'm like, I'm going to be the exact yeah. opposite. I'm going to talk about everything. Um, Do you wonder in what ways that you're that your kids will respond or react to you because you, you think of it and we oh, said this concept this all the time. Yeah, We have this like rubber band concept and we talked about it in another episode. I know I keep referring to it, but that's just part of our thing. But like, if you take a rubber band, you kind of pull it really hard back and you picture yourself as being that rubber band. When you let go of it, like it's going to like go all the way out and then come back in and go all the way out until it finally hits that, you know, that equilibrium yeah. where it's just a normal thing. Right. That, that responding is just you sort of going back and forth. And you're like, that when they let go, it's usually that phase where you're like, fuck y'all, I'm doing my own thing. You know, and then you kind of like come back and then you go back to, you know, do you see what I'm saying? So you do yeah. that back and forth motion until you finally hit some kind of uh, balance. So I think that like all of our kids and all the generations that come after us, we're merely responding and how far back we pull each other is going to be the same thing. And so it makes me, it's funny when like you see a lot of like the boomer generation, they're like, you guys are a bunch of pussies and all that, you know, they say all this other stuff, but we're merely a response to them. And, you know, you and I were talking about kids having so much access to the internet 
we we just didn't grow up with it. Like so, yeah. like we didn't grow up like we knew life before the internet was a thing. Then yeah. you know we started getting internet. Middle school aim. Yeah, exactly. And then when we get to you see the kids now, and they've always grown with the high the speed digital connection. natives. Yeah, so it's like we're and then the way that they view like Google is going to have more knowledge and wisdom than mom and dad are. Yeah. And that's just how it is. We're just responding back and forth. So I'm thinking that maybe the next generation, I'm seeing it now. The next generation is way more empathetic than we are. Mm-hmm. They are way more empathetic. They, they have a much more, they're much more in tune with the environment. And then there are certain things that they just don't care about. So there is the, you look at the studies and less and less people are, um, are buying homes because yeah. they just don't need the shit. You know? Right. And you think about like, how much land does that stuff take? You know what I mean? Like we were talking about in our, in our episode about Kobe Bryant, like I was saying that I don't want a, when I die, I don't want like a casket and all this other stuff because it amounts to waste. You know, you take a body and you pump it with chemicals yeah. and then you put it in a box that's made up a shitload of chemicals oh, yeah. and then you take it and put it in I this I want to be block. a tree. Have you seen exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about. <laughs> and so I was also saying that like, even, even my mindset, we've been told that, you know, you've got to be a good person because you're going to, you know, to go to heaven or you're going to be punished and go to hell. So because I learned physics in, in high school and stuff. I I'm a big fan of the law of the conservation of energy. And if you just view the universe, the energy that started the universe is still here. Right. You can call it God. You can call yeah. it whatever you want. But in that same vein, energy and can neither be created or destroyed. It just goes from one phase to another. And, and so I've, I said that when I die, it's just a, it's just another birth for me. And I, and my energy is going into some other type of thing. And so and, I, and then my my thing against my thing with it was that when you have these chemicals and you have these caskets and you have these mausoleums and monuments mm-hmm. and like I feel like you're blocking that energy, you're blocking that ability for more life to be created from you being gone. And so you know, I think, I, do I? I think that's an exceptional um, way to uh, kind of encapsulate like the problems with like our egoic understanding of like our finality, you know, like I need to leave a legacy, even if that legacy is a giant pillar in a cemetery, you know, like that sort of, you know, we were talking about Adam Shirds earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, uh, he dresses he's, like he's been on the Obama, show. Just saying, <laughs> wait, does. when you see him, you'll be like, well, oh, my God. He does. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> in one of his sermons uh, recently, it might have been a couple months ago. I don't know. But he was talking about um, he was he was talking about living a resume life versus living a eulogy life. Mm. You know, what kind of what do you want to leave behind all of yep. your accomplishments and accolades? Yep. And um, and I think that at a point, you know, and, and again, I fight that energy. Mm-hmm. Right. I fight that that I need to achieve. I need to accomplish. I need to do. I need to create. I need to be. Um, but God, my soul just says, I just want that eulogy life. I just want to be that person Live in the world. Oh, li- li- yeah. Like, it doesn't matter where you like, you know, I fought so long, like physically, like, where am I in the world? Um, and it's like, it doesn't matter where you are. It matters what you pour into 
the place, the, the place that you are mm-hmm. and into the people that you know, mm-hmm. what are you giving? What are you offering? What are you giving yourself? Yeah. What are you giving others? Because you can all, you can't give from an empty cup, That's you know? Truth. And so gotta be selfish. A little you bit. gotta be selfish a little bit. I still, and, uh, yeah. y'all can't see a smile, but he <laughs> knows that I struggle with this. Yeah. Um, but that is, but yeah, taking care of ourselves, um, and seeing meeting our own needs um, is an important part of being yeah. able to give to others. But that's what I seek is that eulogy life. Yeah. Like I just, I, you know, like whatever happens with the website, whatever yeah. happens with the writing, you know, you know what, you know, I, I don't have the accolades yeah. or whatever at this point. But if I can help, you know, you, you were talking, I think it was the last episode where I was listening to it. You were talking about like, if I can just help one person, like that's all I want. There's somebody who needs to hear my voice, who Mm -hmm. needs to hear my story. There is one person out there who is going to hear it and go, oh my gosh, she got through it. Oh my gosh, she survived. She got to the other side. Oh my gosh, I can find her. I want to be able to be found. I want to be a beacon. I want to be a light. I want to be hope for other people. Mm -hmm. There are too many women and men, and I speak mostly to women just because that's my experience, that that live, you know, that are either living with somebody in active addiction or struggling with codependency. They don't feel any sense of freedom or authority over their life. They feel like... They're there. The thing that they can add and benefit is what they can give to other people. And they themselves, they don't get to, to, they don't get to grow and thrive and develop because all they're trying to do is win love and affection. And anytime they disappoint somebody, it's taken away, you know, and it's just this, I just, you don't have to live that way. I don't have to live that way. And I'm not perfect and I'm going to slide back and I'm going to slide forward and I'm going to be all over the place with it. But I'm honest about where I am in my journey. And I want to invite people to watch me as I strive to get better. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to be. But I'm... I've got some, I mean, there's like some weird fun stuff that I've got planned, but like, and it's wholly and totally selfish. But like, for me, like a big part of it is like when I was a kid, like I didn't get to, I mean, I got to be a kid. Like I got to go to like dance class. I got to do the stuff, you know, but like I was very serious. And so for me now, like I'm at a place where I'm like, I want to play and I want to play with my kids and I'm going to go play in the gym and I'm going to go play tennis and I'm going to do all these hobbies. Like I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to have fun. Like, you know, and, um, Oh man, there's so much we got to wrap up, but there's so much that like, I wish that we had had a chance to talk about. There's so many things, but we will come back. We'll get there. This This is is absolutely perfect. Um, Where can people find you? So on Instagram, um, my handle is champion Liz and on, uh, I do have a website. It's championliz.com. I'm also on Facebook. Um, and I think you can search for champion Liz. Um, but also like the Facebook handle is like, hello at champion Liz okay. or at hello champion Liz. I yeah. think it's that, but, um, yeah, so good. And you are starting your podcast. When's that coming? Oh, probably in March or April, okay. because I have to get a mic and learn how to use all these fancy gadgets. Hey, we're we're going to take care of you on that. Okay. Right? So, cool. uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do is get mics in people's hands and, and, just let them know, like, it's not as serious as you think. As far as like, 
we just make it that way, you know, but it's not as serious. Well, that's because you you're think. tech people who know what you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. But like, I, like I've said, if you listen to our, our other recordings, I have some where it's just I set my phone down and I just do a recording. I just use a sound recorder and then I take that file and put it up. And we've, you know, back when Rome Sandwich Company, do you remember that place? It was on the square. Uh, it was called Rome. Yeah, Rome. R O A M. It was like oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah okay. sorry I was thinking Rome like you know oh, Italy and I, I was like that what too. and I came in there okay. and was like what is this but uh, um we would do episodes in there and you would just hear life happening yeah you know in the in the background and there's a conversation going on there and it really added to the authenticity of the of the conversation and it's to show people like. You don't need to have a bunch of nice stuff to just get your message just to out. get it going. You really don't. So we'll make sure that you have a mic and uh, cool. Thank you'll you. be able to be in a good position. We've given one to I gave one to Jeremy, who was on that episode before. So I was like, oh, when, sweet. You, when you're out in the woods, man, go and record some stuff. Yeah. Find a way. Actually, I was I was listening to that and I was like, I was like, that would be a really cool, like champion list project to be like, I'm going to go hike. I've never gone hiking before in my life. I'll I'll get you connected with Jeremy because I think he's still he's still he's staying at uh, he's at Mammoth Cave Park. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he's just, you know, he's he took some really cool pictures out there. I'll I'll, I'll get you guys to to chat and and link up because he's such a good, positive dude. And uh, screw hiking. uh, But uh, (laughs) He's such a good positive too. That's uh yeah, like, I think see, you guys are you'll hit it off. Like like one of you know, just kind of like close like you know, uh one of the things that like drives me going forward is sort of defining what are my values mm-hmm. and like reevaluating them. But one of the values I grew up with was fear. Really? Be afraid of everything. Really? And so like the idea of being in the outdoors like totally is like, but there could be snakes. Yeah. But there could be, you know, what if you run out of water? But so you like see I my love different the spin, idea. What of I this. said like, like on the episode, my different spin of my fear of being out in nature too long is that I when nature is the one, the biggest reminder of how insignificant that you are. And for some people, like, and even though we grew up the way that I did, the Nigerian culture is very male dominated. So in a way, like, even though we were poor and we had all this stuff, like the son is the, the golden boy is just all it is because he's carrying the name. And some people who no one really gives a shit about that, yeah. but it's just one of those things. And so when you live a life of being told, like, Hey, you're strong. You're in, you know, like, don't ever forget who you are. And again, there's tons of other factors playing into why that is. But if you ever know a Nigerian other than me, we are full of our own bullshit, man. That's just what we are, dude. It's like, even Africa's like, man, fuck those guys. They're too much. But like, that's just how we are. And so when you step out into nature and, and I said it on this last episode and you just look at all the life happening, irregardless of your existence being there. Like, A, it'll show you how much you belong with this, but it'll also show you, like, if you weren't here, this stuff's still going to keep it's, happening. Yeah, it's it's all still there. And for some people, like, there's this concept called analysis paralysis, mm-hmm. where you just freeze when because you're thinking too much about how something may or may not happen or how you don't matter in my, in my case, where I'm just like, but I'm... I'm well, at least I'm stronger than all you guys here. And, you know, but your strength means nothing when you're in a storm or something like that. There's so much happening out in nature. And, and it's just it's scary. So for me, like, 
so for me, like, it's kind of like the opposite, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like a, how are you going to survive, little girl? Oh, see? <laughs> yeah. How are you going to take care of yourself? There's yeah. no big straw man to take care of you yeah. out here in the woods. Yeah. Don't you? Oh, honey. <laughs> There's no you, coffee maker, no stuff. There ain't no coffee maker. <laughs> yeah. Do you even know how to start a fire? Yeah. I mean, and so, like, you talk, you know, it's kind of the flip side of that. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, when you're talking about growing up in a Nigerian household, yeah. I'm hearing that's not a whole lot different than yeah. Growing up in a patriarchal Southern family, there you go. You know, there you um, go. Oh, shoot, well, what time is it? No, it's okay. no. I got like three minutes, yeah. but I'm gonna plug this because yes. it's like my favorite. And so, if anybody's listening to this still, <laughs> and going yeah. and going, oh, this is fascinating. Yeah. Um. So. And also, you're going to hear this and go, why didn't you see this in your own life if you read this? But one of my favorite short stories is um, called The Yellow Wallpaper. And you read it a lot in like women's studies and like sociology. I think I read it in English class. Um, but it's a Victorian piece. And it's about a woman who is suffering from a condition called white glove syndrome. And mm -hmm. so her husband sends her out to the country because mm -hmm. that's what they did back then to go get fresh air. Mm -hmm. They put her in this really awful room with ugly yellow wallpaper. And she imagines, so white glove syndrome is you imagine you're constantly wearing white gloves. You're helpless. You can't do anything uh, with your hands. Yeah. You're just sitting there full, you know, you just can't do anything with those useless old hands of yours. Mm -hmm. They're in these white gloves. And the, I won't ruin the story for you. It's a fantastic story. But um, there have been, and I remember at the time being like, oh God, to be one of those women and stuck in these white gloves or to have this syndrome, like, oh, how horrific that would have been. You know, this sort of helplessness, this, this completely mental yeah. helplessness. This is all trauma, yeah. you know, yep. but to be able to look at myself now and to be able to say like, my brain has been injured. Yeah. I'm Okay. I accept that my brain's been injured. I'm healing. Yep. But I know that one day these white gloves are going to come off. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take a long time to heal the brain trauma. Yep. A lot of people live their lives and they don't realize that their brains have been damaged. They don't realize that what they've done has physically changed and shaped the way that they function and operate in the world. And I think. We have to forgive ourselves for letting it happen, but we also have to accept that it's going to take time to get better. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and, and so, you know, that's why the idea of going out into the woods, yes. it doesn't sound, it sounds scary in that I'm like, well, actually, I really don't know how to start a fire, yeah. but there's a voice inside of me now that's coming back that's saying, but I can learn how. That's it. That's perfect. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Guys, I hope you all found value in this episode. Uh, I do want to do one quick shout out. It's to uh, Patch Junkie, uh, Patch Junkie, PatchJunkieShop.com. Uh, please hit up Jay. I don't have my thing to read, Jay. I'm sorry. I'm a scumbag. But seriously, uh, he is a shop that specializes in creating different sorts of custom patches. So if you are military or if you like to collect patches or you're just into if you want to have one created uh, the crew at patchjunkieshop.com can actually do all that stuff for you they're based out of delaware and he's doing some really really cool stuff in his community um, i'll get that information probably in post and uh, i'll shout that out as well but he's doing stuff in the delaware community but guys please go to www.patchjunkie.com and uh, check out his wares we're going to be working with him to get some cool patches made 
And uh, I'm just excited for the opportunity to continue to work with him. Um, guys, again, I hope you all found value in this. Uh, once again, it's Champion Liz on Instagram. And your website is championliz.com. Championliz.com. Please hit her up. Follow her journey. We're definitely going to be following your journey. Like I said, we're going to get you a mic. I want you to no roadblocks here. You know, no roadblocks. Go out there and just tell your story. I think that just by listening to this, you've done so much, so much. And <laughs> and for anyone listening, we do want to continue to tell more of people's stories because that is something that the world is lacking. It's just storytellers and just being able to be open and honest and be able to just share what's going on. And I think I'm a firm believer in that um, we can do some true healing by by uh, talking and, and, and saying this kind of stuff. So thank you so much for jumping on for real, man. It means the world. I know I've been like chasing you down to be like, you've got to come on and talk about this. Well, so, thank you for having me. Yes, um, yes. You know, we, we had to fight off an emergency appendectomy. That was what yeah, kept me off, <laughs> off before. Is he feeling better though? He's, he's a lot better. Okay. He's, he's back to normal. Oof, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be here. I'm glad that we got That's to do what's this. Up. Guys, kick all the ass and we, I'm going to release this probably... I might do it today. Hmm. I'll see. If I get time, I'm going to edit it and release it. But I'll let you know once we do that. Cool. We're good. All right. We are out.